we learned that uh, that Waldo didn't need to uh, to keep hiding. That God's love uh, had found him. His light had shone, uh, which I guess prompts this whole alternative timeline where Waldo doesn't grow up and put himself in increasingly bizarre historical situations and doesn't sell millions of kids' books, which is, I guess, our loss and his gain. But, uh, but that has everything to do with what we're talking about today, that God's light shines in the darkness, brings us out of our self-imposed hiding. We, we've been looking at uh, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, and how many of those words in Isaiah point to Jesus, point to his birth, point to where he's from. We've looked at where he's from in terms of his genealogy, his lineage. We've talked about where he's from in terms of his virgin birth. Today we're going to look at his, at his home, his upbringing, his roots. So let's, uh, let's pray, and then if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Isaiah chapter 8. So Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing that our kids have been to us. And I pray now as we spend some time in your word, you'd speak to us, move in us, stir up in us, Lord, a greater understanding of who you are and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're starting in Isaiah 8, and we're going to go verse 19, where we read, when someone tells you, to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they're famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. How is that for a Christmas passage, hey? Like, does this guy know what month it is? Does he know what Sunday it is? This is, not, this is Christmas, man! We're going to get to the good stuff. We're going to get to the verses that are more clearly about Christmas in a, in a little bit. But, but this is the context. This is, what, this is what leads to those more hopeful verses. Here we read about the darkness, about those who dwell in the darkness, which is a metaphor for those who are living apart from God, who, who are living in a way that, that is lost, that is disconnected. But, um, Isaiah says that this happens because people have disregarded God's word of instruction. See, we as, as followers of Jesus believe that God has given us a clear word of instruction. He has shown us who he is, And what his will is for us in his word, in in the Bible. The classic verse that that speaks of this is 2 Timothy 3. Paul says, Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That Scripture is sufficient. It sufficiently and thoroughly equips us to do his will. This is a gift. We should be so grateful that the God who made us loves us so much he doesn't leave us in the dark, but says, here's, here's my word, here's, here's who I am, here's how I want you to live. The tragedy in Isaiah's day was that so many people had disregarded that. They had said, no, 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 we don't want that. And instead they had turned to alternative sources of enlightenment, of instruction. They had turned to spiritists and mediums and so on. Now it's not going to surprise you if I tell you that many, many people in our world today also disregard God's, words of, God's word of instruction. Many people today say no thank you to the Bible. I mean, Bible reading in the Western world continues to decline. 
and biblical illiteracy is on the rise. People don't read their Bibles. They don't study their Bibles. They don't, they don't know their Bibles. That's not going to surprise you. But what might surprise you is that the same kinds of alternatives that people turned to back in Isaiah's day are increasingly becoming popular today, 2,700 years later. You know, the um, popularity of things like the zodiac and astrology, psychics and tarot cards and palm reading and Ouija boards and all that stuff has been, uh, has been on the rise in a way that we haven't seen since the 1970s. Uh, just, just immensely popular, especially among my generation, the millennials, and, as well as the Gen Zs, that kind of that younger generation. That's kind of what's fueling this, this popularity. And especially in the pandemic and since the pandemic, uh, this, this uncertainty and this instability, if you read many of uh, one of the many articles about this, people will say, well, in a time when, when we, are, we no longer adhere to Christian faith and there's all this instability, these kind of occultic spiritualities give us a way of connecting with something bigger than ourselves, which it might actually. It might, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good thing, that, that connecting with something bigger than yourself is not necessarily even morally neutral. It may be that you're connecting with things that would actually seek your destruction, that would lead you further into darkness. That's what Isaiah says is happening 2,700 years ago. Now, Isaiah says this is what people are doing. Then he, then he tells us this is the result of that darkness, of that disregarding God's instruction he says the result of it is distress. And people are distressed because they're, they're hungry. And that is what, or first, first of all, sorry, I was going to say, first of all, he says that they have no light of dawn. That's the first thing he says, which is a metaphor that, that means that they don't have any hope. There's a hopelessness, and it's not, it's not just a feeling of hopelessness. It's an objective hopelessness. It's, it's the reality that people who have disregarded God's word actually don't have any source of Real hope in the world. He says they, they are distressed. He says they're distressed because they're, hung, they're, they're hungry. And that's probably a metaphor that speaks of the emptiness. That if you've cut yourself off from God, there is this, this void in your life. And people try to fill it with all kinds of things. Try to fill it with, with money, with status, popularity, and increasingly in our world with identity. So many different identities that our culture puts so much weight on. And people try to fill that void with those identities. But it, does, it doesn't work. People go from one false hope to the next. C.S. Lewis talked about how it's, it's like thirsty people who look at ocean water and think that's going to be really good. I'm thirsty. I'm going to drink that. And it just makes the thirst even worse. It can't satisfy. And so people become angry. They become frustrated because nothing's working. They're raging at their government. They're raging at anything. They kind of come across because, because there's this distress and this despair, this futility that comes when you have disregarded God's word of instruction. Now tell me, do you see that today? You see that happening in our world today? You know, let's, let's talk about how this is going. For our world, those, those kinds of uh, alternative spiritualities significantly on the rise since the pandemic. Let's check in and see how that's going. Uh, U.S. government study last year found that 44% of high school students are either so persistently sad or hopeless. So persistently hopeless that they are no longer able to engage in regular everyday activities. Almost half of high school students so paralyzed by hopelessness. 
Uh, World Health Organization found uh, since the pandemic, there's been a 25% increase in depression and anxiety in an already record-breaking depressed and anxious world. And do you see anger anywhere? You, you see anyone, is anyone ever angry? Maybe, just a little bit. And I think it's on all sides. It's on all sides of the political spectrum. You got conservatives who are angry at their liberal governments. But you know what, what we would call wokeness? Man, there's a lot of anger there, right? That, that worldview that, that, that kind of obsesses about certain identities just breeds bitterness and, and, and divisiveness and, and anger towards people. It's just like just anger everywhere, despair, hopeless, the whole deal. Turns out that the state of humanity in 2022 AD is not that different from the state of humanity in 730 BC. Kind of the same deal. And some of this isn't, it's, it's not just abstract for some of you. Some of you have come out of that kind of darkness. You, you've been saved from that. You know that well. Some of you are still in it. Maybe you're here this morning and you're listening to what Isaiah says here in Isaiah 8 and you're thinking, that, that's me. How does he know my heart so well? How does he know so well what's going on inside of me? Is there any hope, though? That's the question. Here's what Isaiah says next. Chapter 9. These are the more well-known, familiar words. Isaiah says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and, Na and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This, this is the incredible almost too good to be true news that for those living in darkness, a light has dawned. And here's the really, really important thing you have to realize that for those living in darkness, they didn't make this happen. They didn't conjure it up for themselves. They couldn't. You know what? Like last month, the last time we had a bit of a, maybe one of the last times we had a bit of a storm, we had power got knocked out, right? We live in a neighborhood that was the last to have power restored. So we went without it for about 24 hours or so. And there was not a whole lot that we could do about it. We could light some candles, but those candles were not going to charge our cell phones or keep the food in our refrigerator cold, right? Like there was just not, not a lot. I couldn't go out and say to BC Hydro, hey, do you need any help? Like that wasn't going to work. I don't have the knowledge, the expertise to help restore power. But, you know, 24 hours later or so, when the people actually did know how and had the ability, they, all of a sudden the power was, was back on. I couldn't really do a whole lot about it. Reminds me of a conversation I had earlier this year with a guy who's really thoughtful. I would say he's a kind of a new age thinker, drawn to Eastern spirituality. We were having this conversation and realized that at the core of it, our views of humanity and salvation and God are just fundamentally so different. Maybe that, that's maybe you're like, well, you, usually you, that, that sentence ends with, and we realized we were kind of the same. Not at all. We were so different. Because he would believe that, that humans are inherently good. Uh, just, and, and, and the way to salvation is to just dig down deeper into yourself. Introspective, meditative, kind of just digging down deep. If you, if you learn about yourself, then you'll know who God is, right? So it's all kind of like, it's all in your power. And I said, actually, I think my understanding, according to the Bible, is that the human heart is twisted and corrupt 
and, and that actually we need saving from outside of ourselves. It doesn't come from our own power. It's got to be God who reaches down and lifts us up. And the way that I know myself, the way I know I'm, how I'm supposed to live is by knowing who God is and what he has done for me. And that, that's, Isaiah, that's Isaiah 8 and 9 is that we can't, we can't do this ourselves. We're, we're in the darkness and we don't, we don't have a light. But thanks be to God, he shines his light into the darkness. This is his grace. It's his doing. All we can do is, is see it. We can receive it. We can embrace it. We can walk in it. We can't conjure it up for ourselves. That's, the good, that's, that's good news, though. That, that's, that's verse 2. Now, in verse 1, Isaiah says this particularly happens for uh, Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee. Names a few places here. Now, just to give you a little bit of cultural context here, Zebulun and Naphtali were two of the sons of Jacob, an Old Testament patriarch. Jacob's other name is Israel. And when all of Jacob's descendants settle in the promised land, the tribes who are the descendants of his sons get different land allotments. And so Zebulun and Naphtali's descendants get these two regions that are very close to the Sea of Galilee. I think we've got a map to kind of show you what we're talking about here. So Zebulun and Naphtali, right up there, kind of right around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, So those, those are the two places we're talking about. Now, why does Isaiah mention them? What's special about them? Really not a whole lot, actually. If anything, what's special about them is how incredibly unspecial they are. Dare you to try that line with your kids. Actually, don't try that line with your kids. You're so special because you're so unspecial. That's not a good line. You don't want to say that to your kids. But that was true of Zebulun and Naphtali. There's a a story in 1 Kings where uh, King Solomon wants to give a thank you gift to King Hiram of Tyre, because he's helped him out quite a bit with some building projects that Solomon's been doing. And so you know that the gift that Solomon gives to Hiram, he gives him 20 towns in the region of Galilee. It's a pretty good gift, right? 20 towns? I'm lucky if I'm coming away with a Christmas sweater at Christmas as a gift. He's getting 20 towns. But this is Hiram's response. When Hiram went from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. What kind of towns are these you've given me, my brother? He asked, and he called them the land of Kabul, which is not a place in Afghanistan. Uh, In this context, that word, if you look at your your footnote, if you've got a footnote there, I'll probably say it sounds like the Hebrew term for good for nothing. It calls this land. This is is the good for nothing province. Thanks a lot, Solomon. Kind of reminds me of, uh, so last week we were at a, family gathering. We did this gift exchange. You're supposed to bring something from your house that you don't want anymore, but might be a treasure for somebody else. And usually it's just junk, and so people stick a bottle of wine in there to make it uh, palatable to whoever gets the gift. So what we did is we took a whole bunch of like old, mismatched, unwanted kitchen items, mostly cheese graters for some reason, but also a potato masher and some mugs, and we wrapped it so that it really did look like a bottle of wine. You know, it looked like the neck of a bottle of wine. Carolyn thought this would be hilarious. So it was like the second gift that got opened because it looked for sure like, you know, there was wine in it. And, uh, but it wasn't. And the person who got it, my second cousin, just made fun of it for like the next hour and begged people to take it off her hands. Like begged unsuccessfully. Just stopped short of calling it Kabul, this, this gift that, that we had given her. 
But it was just stuff that we didn't want, right? It was like, we, we, don't, we didn't want this stuff anymore. Here, you can have it. That's Solomon's mentality with Zebulun and Naphtali. I really don't want these towns anymore, Hiram. You take them. I don't want them in my sight anymore. The other couple of things about these lands is that they had failed to drive out the Canaanites when they settled in the land. So there was this mixture of Gentiles and Israelites. Maybe is why Isaiah says Gentile or, or Galilee of the nations. And then also, when, when the northern kingdom of Israel falls to Assyria, these are the two tribes, the two lands, that fall first. So the, 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 in terms of Israel's exile and disgrace, Zebulun and Naphtali bear that first. They are kind of like nothing and nobody lands, weak, undefended, unimportant, unknown. Kind of like they're like the Saskatchewan of, of Israel, you know? Come on, guys! Give me something on that, at least. That was a good joke, wasn't it? This is, come on. Here's the thing, though. I'm from Manitoba, so there's really not a whole lot of difference between Manitoba and Saskatchewan, so I should actually probably say it's the, These guys, the, Zebulun and Naphtali are the Manitoba and Saskatchewan of, uh, of, of Israel. They're just, that, that's kind of their status. And yet God, through Isaiah, says these are the places that are going to experience this transformation, that are going to go from gloom and, and are going to turn and, 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 see, and see the light. Now, what do these two things have to do with each other? Why these places particularly? It's time we go to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4. This is what we read. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The verses that we looked at in Isaiah. And Matthew tells us that at a certain point in Jesus' life, he, uh, he moved to Capernaum, right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this was a fulfillment of what Isaiah had said. Now you might be going, well, that's great, but that happens later in Jesus' life. This still doesn't feel very Christmassy. But here's the thing. Nazareth was already in this area. I've got another map for you. Let's get that map up here. Nazareth was already in this general area. I think it's the next one we want to go to. There it is. So I got a red circle there around Nazareth. You'll see that was in the region of Galilee. Nazareth was in the region that would have been Zebulun back in the day. And when Jesus moves to Capernaum, it's right on the, on the Sea of Galilee. That would have been in what, what was then uh, Naphtali back in, in Isaiah's day. But in any case, Nazareth was already in that area. And Nazareth was the hometown of Jesus. Nazareth was where his parents were from. We read that in Luke, both Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth. It was the town where Jesus grew up. It's where he spent his childhood. Um, and, and that might come as a surprise to some of you because you might think that Jesus was from Bethlehem. That's where he was born. And, and it, was, it was his birthplace. It was important to his story. That was King David's hometown. It was, uh, it was where the prophet Micah said that the Messiah would be born. But it's not where Jesus was from. You know, think about my own story here. I said I'm, I'm from Manitoba. I was actually born in El Paso, Texas. So my parents were from southern Manitoba, but they lived in Texas for a couple of years. I was born there. And so El Paso is part of my story. I have dual citizenship, and I get to file American taxes every year. Woo! This is something I enjoy so much 
that I procrastinate every year until December uh, as a kind of a fun Christmas present to myself, you know, to, do, to file my American taxes. So El Paso has a part of my story, but my parents were from Manitoba. I grew up all, uh, like all my childhood years were in southern Manitoba. El Paso is in my home. It's not where I'm from. Manitoba is, is where I'm from. That's what's shaped me. Jesus might have been born in Bethlehem, but he was from Nazareth through and through. And this is what you need to know about Nazareth. It was a town of something like 500 people. It was a very, very small town, middle of nowhere, out of the way. And, uh, and it was a place that, you, you know how there's some small places that you might be really proud of being from? Nazareth wasn't like that. It wasn't one of those kinds of places. In the Gospel of John, Philip tells uh, Nathaniel, he says, hey, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah, and he's from Nazareth. And, and Nathaniel can't believe it. He's incredulous. He's like, no way. Nazareth? What good could come from there? Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's the kind of reputation that Nazareth has. That's where Jesus is from. That's his hometown. Isn't that crazy? And when we think that Jesus being born in a, you know, in a, in a, in a stable, being laid in a, in a manger, this kind of illustrates his humility, uh, his, you know, being born to a teenage mom like Mary, that, that illustrates his humility. This illustrates his humility just as much, the fact that his roots are in a middle of nowhere, nothing kind of town like Nazareth. But again, this is what Isaiah said. Isaiah said the light would break into the darkness in a place like this. That's the other part of, of Isaiah's prophecy, that, that, that there would be a light that would shine, that would shine into the darkness. And this is what the New Testament says over and over again, that Jesus is that light. He's the light of the world. Again, the Gospel of John doesn't have a, doesn't have a birth story like Matthew or Luke, but John does tell us how Jesus came into the world, and he does it in this poetic and abstract kind of way. So in John 1, we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is, is said to be the Word. He's the one who reveals to us who God is, what God wants us to do. So he, he's the Word, and, and we read in John 1 verse 4 that in him, in the Word, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that. Darkness can't overcome it. Jesus shines into the darkness. Darkness can't overcome it. Verse 9, John 1 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. See, some people talk about light, God's light. It's kind of this like abstract kind of idea. You know, like, like a feeling maybe that you get or, or a concept. No, no, no. In John, it's not that. It's, it's a person. The light of God is a person. Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light. The light of God is, is in him. The light shining in the darkness is him. You see, in in his status as being one who is fully divine, he enlightens us, shows us who God is. In his humanity, fully embracing humanity, he shows us what humans are to be like. He shows us we were what we were created for. In, uh, in his teaching, he shows us, he enlightens us about our need for salvation 
and the nature of sin. In the cross, at the cross and in the empty grave, he shows us what God has done to bring about that salvation we desperately need. And at his, as he pours out his Holy Spirit on his people, that spirit guides us, convicts us, leads us, shows us the way to go. This is why Revelation says that Jesus is the bright morning star. He is the hope for the hopeless. If you've got darkness in your life, Jesus is the answer. He is the light of the world. But here's the tragic thing. That not everybody will see the light. John says uh, in John chapter 3, just after that verse, that famous verse, for God so loved the world, gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Just a few verses later, John says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. See, it's, it's more than possible. I mean, for Waldo to come out of hiding required some degree of courage, right? Trust. It required trust. And, and not everybody's going to trust God. Not, not everybody is going to receive that light. Some people will, will keep their eyes closed and resist that. And so here's the big question that we need to answer just as we close here, is how do you make sure you're somebody who receives the light, walks in it, instead of resisting it and keeping your eyes closed to it? And the answer, it seems to me, has a lot to do with Nazareth and Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee. It has to do with humility. It has to do with laying down the importance that you attach to things like your job title and how much money you make and how well your kids are performing in school and how many Instagram followers you have and whatever else you attach importance to, where you're from, your genealogy, your hometown, whatever it is, you're going to have to lay down the importance you place on those things because, because if you think those things define you and define anybody else in the world, then you will stumble on Jesus. People stumbled over Jesus because he was from Nazareth. People from Nazareth stumbled over the fact that he was from Nazareth. People stumbled over Jesus because he was born of a teenage mother and the supposed son of a carpenter. People stumbled over Jesus because he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a king in the way people expected. He wasn't ru- leading a military uprising against Rome. People stumbled because, because when he finally did enter Jerusalem as a king, he did it on a donkey. And he did it when he, when he received a crown. It was a crown of thorns. And then people definitely stumbled over the fact that Jesus died this seemingly shameful death on the cross. But like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the cross is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, this is why Jesus says that to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to become like like a child. Because children don't tend to struggle with pride as much as, as adults do. Children tend to be quicker to trust. They don't attach as much importance to titles and statistics and those kinds of things. This, this is a theme that runs throughout the scriptures, that to enter the kingdom of God is going to require humility. It's going to require you laying down your pride, laying down your, the importance that you place on your status. As uh, James says, uh, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 
So if you want to come out of the darkness, it's going to require humility. Embracing the status of a child, embracing the status of Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee, places without any illusions of, of, of grandeur, self-righteous, self-important thoughts, but instead just recognizing the darkness and your need for God to shine his light. And he has. He has done this. In Jesus, he has done this. At Christmas, at the birth of Jesus, the light broke into the darkness. He shone into your life, into my life. Will you receive that? I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to sing, and then I think we've got the kids up here one more time after that yet. But let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your light that shines in the darkness. Jesus, that you are the light of the world. We praise you. We worship you. We love you, Lord, because in our darkness... In our hiding, you have sought us out. You have shone your light. And you have brought us, Lord, into your, into your life. And I pray, Lord, for each one here and for those who have joined us online today. And I pray that you would, you would speak those words to them, Lord. That, that for anyone who is experiencing gloom and, and darkness, depression, for those who are walking in a way that is disconnected from your word, that they would hear the good news today, Lord, that you love them, that you have sought them, that you have broken into the darkness through Jesus, the light of the world. And I pray that they would receive that. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would live our lives in humble recognition of your grace that has come through Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Bridge Church in this way. If God has spoken to you through his word, or if you're wanting to reach out to pray, or just wanting to know more about our church, access our website. There you can connect with us and also have access to other contents. We are a church that lives to know Jesus Christ personally and to make him known. We believe he is the hope of the world and wants to give you hope as well. We believe the best news ever has come in and through him. May you know more of him and make him known today. We'd love to hear more from you.